everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name is Carrie. Hi, Carrie. I'm Hi, Dean. Hi, Dean. I'm Jack. Glad to meet you. Hi, Jack. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Jack. How are you doing? Hi. What Thank if someone's you. listening to this at an airport? We can't. That would get them in trouble. <laughs> well, I don't care. Well, you should. That's not nice. Like my phone, I can't do voice to text and say, I'm going to go drop Jack off somewhere. It, it literally won't write those words. <laughs> well, it's a proper phone that you have there. I guess so. Hey, who loves sports? Well, right. you know Jack and I do. I got a couple of sports fans <laughs> with me here today. I'm glad we uh, chose this topic here today. We? We, me. What we're going to talk about today, hey, you, you don't have to be a sports fan, actually, to be entertained and amazed by the little stories we have here. Little stories. Today. Yeah, basically, little stories. Basically, these are just some weird, funky, strange things that have happened in the world of sports. Just all years. sports? Yes, all sports. Not weird sports. I was going to say. I stress that. That's the topic for a different podcast because there are a shitload of weird sports like wife carrying and huh, long yeah. rolling and stuff like that. We'll do that another time. There's so many of those. Cheese so, rolling. Cheese rolling, yes. Yeah. Weird yep. things in regular sports. Exactly. Weird things right. in regular sports. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The name Satchel Page. That's a weird thing. What's wrong with Satchel? I don't know. I just like that name. It's, it's cool always name. stuck out to me. It's a very cool name, I have to admit. His mother thought so as well. I've kind of carved them into topics, right? So the first topic we're going to talk about is sports and violence. Oh. What? Violence. Oh, violence. Mm-hmm. Not you thought violence. No, I, I don't know what you said. I, I heard mylets. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I need clarification. Thing. Very didn't think. And of course, when we talk sports and violence, what sport comes to mind first of all? American football. football. No, actually. Boxing. Oh. oh. Other football. Soccer. The rest of the world football. Well, I'm American. What everybody else calls football except for us. We call it soccer. Soccer. Yeah. You mean... mean, Well... What do you mean? Fan violence. Yeah, that's what I was... Fan violence and even worse than that. We'll get to that in a second. Oh, I think. In 1964, we'll start with this one. Peru was playing Argentina in an Olympics qualifying match. Oh, those get crazy. I didn't know... I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that soccer was in the Olympics. That oh, back, really? which is kind of embarrassing because, of course, it yeah. is. But it's it's so it's so not as big a deal as the World Cup in the soccer yeah. world, the soccer world. The yeah. Olympics is is a I don't even know if it's second. I don't know. It might be third or fourth most important, but you know the World Cup is hugely more important. And the World Cup started way after the Olympics did because apparently I looked it up and soccer has been in the Olympics since 1900. Wow, and was in a huh. demonstration sport in 1896, which was the first modern Olympics. So, wow, again, my bad. Women's soccer came around in 1996, so a good century after the men has started. Jesus. Yep. And they still do better. Yeah. Uh, The stakes are are very high in these games, even though it was just an Olympic qualifier. Particularly, this is true in soccer-mad Latin America, right? This is Peru versus Argentina. So they're they're playing. It's an important game. A referee makes a very questionable call. And the crowd in Lima, Peru, goes nuts. They toss bottles. They toss trash all over the field. I'm going to refuse to call it a pitch because it's a field, so get over it, soccer. Police try... What's what's the official name? A pitch. A pitch. <laughs> okay. Then... It's a goddamn field. Okay, fine, pitch. That was so... you try to think of some other term for sports that you would take issue with. Cricket. I don't know if I called a you know a football field a football pitch, you just flip it. Something I've often thought, by the way, that we should call American football soccer, yeah, and call football football because foot soccer is all about the feet. You're not the only one. American yeah. football the feet aren't that important, so I, I don't like that. Anyway, so I'm with you on that one. Uh, soccer. <laughs> okay, hold up. <laughs> you must not think you are the first person no, to propose no, that. No, no, no. Flipping the words? I've never heard that. People say that. Are you oh, yeah. serious? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Seriously. No, really? Like probably soccer, a million so. and well, a half comedians have oh, really? said yes. that. Yes. Uh, well, next I'm going to talk about airplane food. I was just about to say, yes, it's, it's you, like Jerry Seinfeld. Parking in the driveway and parking in the driveway. In the yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Well, I'm behind. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> anyway, back to Peru versus Argentina. Yeah. The police try to restore order the way they do this. Remember, this crowd's going crazy. Is they fire it. tear gas into the stands. Great oh, way. Wow. This has the opposite Fucking effect. Jesus. As you can imagine. The fans panic 
and they rush for the e- exits, and you can probably think about it. In the ensuing chaos, 328 people die. Most of them are trampled to death, but many of them are crushed to death because they had closed all the exit gates and locked Wait, what them. year was this? 1964. Oh, okay. Jesus so Christ. 328 people died at a soccer game. Because they fired tear gas and then locked the doors. Wow. Jesus, that's worse than the who in Cincinnati. Yeah, it was. That was 11 people. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. So five years later, it's 1969. Soccer is going to top itself in terms of in, in creating violence, right? In, in a sports-related way. Well, that's so, kind of the police's fault, to be honest. That one was, yeah, Well, yeah. Still. So Honduras and El Salvador square off in June of 1969 for a spot in the 1970 World Cup. So Ooh. this is a big, big, big deal, right? They were scheduled to play two games, which I don't know how they Take thought that was going to work. Take 17 hours. One which wins each. They have to play another yeah. one, which is what happens. So the first one is in Tegucigalpa, the cap- Honduran capital, and Honduras wins this one to nothing. There was fighting and violence throughout the game. They didn't get out of hand. But in the next game, this is now in San Salvador, El Salvador, the Salvadorans crush the Hondurans three to nil. That's like a thousand to zero in other sports in soccer. I mean, three goals. <laughs> like, whoa, that was just offensive madness. It's crazy. So the violence during this match was much, much worse. And now the government of Honduras is not happy, right? At this time, there were many, many Salvadoran immigrants in Honduras working. So I didn't know. So what in reaction to this game that had taken place, remember, in, in uh, San Salvador, right? the um, violent Honduran mobs chased thousands and thousands of these Salvadoran immigrants back over the border in these, ups, these, these uprisings, these allegedly spontaneous uprisings. Because of sports? Because of the soccer game and because uh, their people got beat up at the soccer game, I guess. So in retaliation to these Honduran mobs, chasing out Salvadoran immigrants in Honduras, the government of El Salvador severs diplomatic relations with Honduras. What the fuck? And this is on the same wow. day that they're going to have the rubber match, the third game, to see who goes to the World Cup. Oh, God. It was at least, it was in neutral Mexico City. That was a good, that was a good, yeah. thing, good yeah. idea there. But what happens is that El Salvador, again, severs dip, diplomatic relations on this day because they blame the Honduran government for just standing by while yeah. these Honduran mobs chased out the uh, Salvadoran. Is that, which is did almost, they do that? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm sure they could have done more to stop it. So, and, and there was, it was bad. It was rapes, murders. Um, they robbed them before they sent them back over the border. So it was pretty bad. So El Salvador in the game wins three to two, which, uh, no, that's just, a, that's craziness. That's a humongous number of goals for soccer. And, and imagining the stadium was a little tense. Yeah, just a tad. Because again, that very day, yeah, there had already been these these uh, these actions by the Honduran yeah. mobs. El Salvador has had seven diplomatic relations with Honduras. So just over about two weeks later, it's July fourteenth, nineteen sixty nine. Oh, I was just about to say, when was this again? Uh, sixty nine. The Salvadoran Air Force attacks Honduras. This was the beginning of the football war. Oh my God! Wow. I was going to say, does soccer start a war? Soccer started a and war, and it started a war. And by Salvadoran Air Force, by the way, I mean they, they strapped explosives to the sides <laughs> of passenger planes. True story. <gasps> and used them as makeshift bombers. Jesus. Apparently they did have some some planes, but they weren't, I, I guess, in great shape. So they, they wow. literally, but they did. And meanwhile, and while the Air Force, quote unquote, is doing this, the Salvadoran Army, the uh, ground forces, uh, initiated a three-pronged attack on Honduras. They nearly got all the way to the capital, Tegucigalpa, and captured it. Wow. This is a, this is a, a full on why though war. because the Honduran well remember the Hondurans, the disrespect they, they said the Hondurans dead idly by why thousands yeah. of Salvadorans many yeah. were killed that's true were robbed yeah. and beaten and and, and uh, chased back over the border wow I mean that would be a pretty that big deal. would be pretty fucked up the Honduran Air Force which I guess had some actual bombers and such they struck back into the heart of El Salvador on some bombing raids while the Hondur- Honduran Army rallied and forced back the uh, Salvadoran army and sort of it, it devolved into a stalemate. Then international 
actors became involved. They negotiated a ceasefire and the a withdrawal of troops back to their respective countries. And the, and the war was basically over very quickly, and, and it was wow. quickly forgotten. But Jeez. this was not before El Salvador lost 900 dead and Honduras over 2,000 dead. Jeez. The vast majority were civilians. Oh, my gosh. Holy shit. Was so it because of bombings? Because of bombings. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So soccer killed almost 3,000 people. people. Did we stick our noses into it? Oh, or I, did we stay out uh, of I it? I imagine we did. I'm through sure. The Are you I, kidding me? I imagine. A I little well, vulnerable no, for, for, South uh, American countries. For, peace, for peaceful reasons. that I, I To negotiate and get yeah. that withdrawal and that ceasefire. Yeah, we, we love Certainly, the U.S. did not want a war between El Salvador and Honduras at all. Wow. Because so, of soccer. Yeah. Wow. So this is called the football war. Little known. Uh-huh. Did they have very good friendly relations before that? I, uh, you know, I don't know. Like I said, though, Salvador you, was there tension. I don't know. Huh? Yeah. I, I, I don't Maybe? know. Maybe I don't know. Government wise, I don't know. I was El Salvador already ruled by the Somozas, which is a right wing dictator. I can't imagine Honduras was anything different. Yeah. Than something like that. I mean, all those countries have been ruled by conservative dictators at times yeah. in the '60s and the, and since Guatemala's left-wing uh, president was overthrown in 1954 by us. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, thanks, us. They were pretty much all pretty conservative. Oh, okay. So huh. that, was the, that was the football war. Wow. wow. I didn't know about that at all. On a much more personal level, what? I bring you an oh. event that happened on September 19th, 2002, in keeping with the, the violence in sports, two drunken... Idiot baseball fans, fans declared war on the Kansas City Royals' first base coach named Tom Gamboa. True start. This is there's some footage of it on YouTube, but they don't get the actual when they jumped out of the fence. So a father and son shirts off, uh, and and you know these skinny meth-addled dipshits le- leapt onto the field during a real game and attacked. The first base coach of the Kansas City Royals just jumped him and started Jesus. pounding on him out of nowhere. Because? Drunken, because yeah. they were assholes. Were they fans they were, of the other team? Yes. It was at, at Chicago's yeah. Comiskey Park, so they were Chicagoans. Because, yeah. you know, that city doesn't have a history of violence. <laughs> and, and they just beat the crap out of it. And you can see the entire uh, Royals team, because it's by the Royals dugout, just en masse. Everybody in that dugout Ran runs out, out there. and starts grabbing and pulling these assholes off. Hell wow. yeah. If I were on the other team even, I'd be like, what the fuck? Don't, you know you, don't what? I paint us like this. And the first baseman for the um, Chicago White Sox just stood there and watched. What? And really? He was 10 feet away, 15 feet away. I noticed that. And that's why I watched it on YouTube and I noticed that he just kind of looked, saw what's going on. I mean, they're hitting him. And yeah. he just sort of walked away a couple of feet like, okay. I'm not going to handle this. This is not part of my job. That's bad wow. person. Kind of, yeah, kind of a dick move. That's actually. a bad I don't, person. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I didn't look up who it was, but it was an asshole move. He should have done something. His name is Shane. I don't know who I should have. He was okay, but Tom Gamboa to this day has permanent hearing loss from the attack. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is Re- a game, full game, major league, major league baseball game. Did they stop the game? I mean, yes. And but I mean, did they resume oh, yeah. it? Yeah, well, eventually they did. Huh? Probably pretty quickly. Yeah. Wow. And also a one-man violence episode. Yeah. Oh, we're going to stick with baseball here. It's a different kind of violence, though. Rodney Rodney McRae. He was an outfielder for the Chicago White Sox. Complete coincidence. This is before. This is 1991. He was kind of a, a prospect. He'd been up and down in the major leagues. I don't know if you know baseball. Baseball has major leagues, and they have various minor leagues, right? And, and um, what? <laughs> this is just funny. Well, I, I, I want to. I know. It's actually good that you guys don't know shit about sports because then <laughs> so, many people in our audience won't as well. Yeah. So, uh, We're on the same if, Tell me if I'm, if I'm being too, quote unquote, inside baseball. Okay. I need to explain something. It's 1991, and uh, Rodney McRae is playing for the AAA Vancouver. I don't know what the names were, but he's in Vancouver playing AAA. It's May 27th. He's tracking a wicked. Towering fly ball, deep, 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 deep into, uh, I, let's say, left field. And he's tracking it, eyes on the ball the whole way. He didn't even feel the warning track by the outfield wall. The warning track is an area where the grass turns to dirt about, I think it's usually 10, 12 feet before the wall to tell the outfielder, I'm getting close to the wall. Yeah. Rodney Uh-oh. did not feel that at all. He says, quote, I, didn't feel, I couldn't feel the warning track. Next thing you know, I'm through the wall. That's right. You have to look this up on YouTube. He smashes right through an eight-foot-tall wooden outfield wall. Wow. I mean, I mean decimates <laughs> the wall. Broke right through the panel. 
Sadly, though, he lost the ball when he hit the wall, oh. so it's not even an out. Was he like running? Full speed. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Full speed. Jason You've has seen ball. him. He's an outfielder. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking at the ball. Wall's behind him. He's at. He's running full speed. It's a big dude, fast too. Yeah. And he just absolutely smashes in the wall. His face <laughs> uh, t- clearly took the brunt of Ooh. the impact. Ouch. But he was okay. What? He was more irritated than hurt. Uh. He would say later, a quote. I just wish I had run through something like a Coca-Cola sign so I could have gotten endorsements. Instead, I ran through a local sign. It's just like some some little local Vancouver food something. I don't know. So, you know, he, he really he wished it was Coke. Oh, my God. He's like the yeah. juggernaut just yeah. running through walls. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I mean, maybe we'll, we should, if we can, let's grab a still and put it on. Yeah. Him, because his face hits the wall. Pretty, you know, you think it'd be shoulder first, but he's just yeah. turning. It looks like... As he impacts the wall, so his face takes a big, big part of the impact for sure. Is there video like on YouTube oh, or yeah. anything? Oh, oh yeah, okay. tons of it. Rodney McRae hits wall. You'll you'll find it. Okay. Boxing is violence, right? Yes. You're gonna have violence in boxing, right? But even in boxing, violence can go too far. We all know Mike Tyson. Yes. Oh Mike Lord, Tyson. Mike Tyson was a, um, and we all admit he was fantastic in The Hangover. He did a really good job there. What? He was great in The Hangover. Wow. Did you see The Hangover? Yeah, I did. No, but you mean acting-wise? Yeah. He did He did wow. not want uh, Bradley Cooper having sex with his tiger. And uh, no, he was good. So it's back in the 1990s. He was the heavyweight champion in the world before he became an accomplished actor. His <laughs> arch nemesis was uh, Evander Holyfield, boxer at the time. Holyfield now, by the way, is a Christian pastor. Oh. So I'm sure he preaches forgiveness. About, and indeed, yeah. he Holiness. has forgiven Tyson for biting off the top of his ear during a match in June 1997. This, too, is very famous. I'm sure everybody, yeah. most people out there know this. I do. So, I mean, that's I, I'm not going to belabor it. He, he literally just, they're, they're just kind of in a scrum, kind of tapping each other. And, and Tyson just, God knows what it came into his head. And he just chomps down on his ear. Ugh. Uh, and he, he bit a chunk off. Yeah. So and so Hollifield goes and shows the the ref his wrecked ear, and the ref says, "You're done. This this fight's over," and disqualified Tyson. Was but he, at least Mike Tyson was no longer hungry. I mean, he's, he's a bit peckish. Was he prosecuted? Or I don't think so. That? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, Not for I don't that. It would depend if if yeah Holyfield Hol- Hol- eventually to press they became charges. friends, and Hollifield, you know. Forgave him for really, yeah. That's, that's weird. He's a forgiving person, Carrie. Yeah, he's yeah. real holy. Yeah, you know who's not forgiving? Tanya Harding. She's a famous athletic hero who made <laughs> bad choices, as you know, right? She was an ice skater. For those of you who don't remember this story, and she was a really, really good ice skater, right? She's kind of yeah. up in the main streets of Portland. So she had an arch enemy. That's funny. The, <laughs> the mean streets mean of Portland, streets of yeah. Portland. Which she, I know. You might be surprised. I know, there. but I said it sounds funny. It does, but trust me, she was she was she was kind of. Let's be honest. We can say it. <laughs> she was white trash. Uh, from I Portland. hate that term. I well, she was. He is. Wasn't is. He comes from. Yeah, it. I know. I, people it's, aren't it's trash. I don't, I don't okay, mom. We've been over this. Okay, Some okay, people here. are trash. Right, Donald Trump. He's yeah. fucking trash, man. Don, Tonya Harding. <laughs> Turns out she Jeffrey Epstein. Trash. Okay. And dead trash. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. God damn it. All right. All right. So her arch enemy was fellow American skater Nancy Kerrigan. And she part of it was because Nancy Kerrigan came from kind of, I don't know, upper middle class family. She's all kind of prissy. The, the, the media loved her. She's very dainty. Tanya Harding just hated her, right? And a few weeks before the 1994 Winter Olympics, where the two were expected to duke it out for the gold, Tanya... As you probably know, had ex-boyfriend Jeff Galuli attack <laughs> Kerrigan with an iron bar while she was practicing. And isn't there footage? Yes, there is. Again, I, I believe it's. I think it's after. Well, you know what? I'm not sure to be honest. You don't. Uh, you the don't one see, that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, perfect view of it. But he went for the knees. He was going to disable her so she couldn't skate, and Tanya would get the goal. Was the idea right? Yeah, <laughs> he was just, ex-husband. By the way. Yes. But, oh wow. You know, I'm sure because Tanya get a gold, she's going to be worth millions. And yeah. That was the idea. No, I mean, I'm just. You said boyfriend. Oh, oh she's correcting you. Yeah. Oh, I thought ex-boyfriend. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So luckily, Jeff Galuli was not a very good kneecapper. Oh God. Because Harrigan, Kerrigan recovered in time to perform in the Olympics yeah. against uh, Tanya Harding, and that was it was perfect justice because 
Tanya Harding, her skate broke and she had a <laughs> meltdown. It's a, yeah. You also have to watch that footage. She puts her broken skate up in the thing. It's broken. To the judge, she's crying. She's yeah. like, oh, it's like tough shit. These, this is your five minutes. Hey. Should I go out there and skate on a broken skate or don't, don't skate at all. So she was disqualified and, and did nothing. Her dreams of gold and riches would go up in smoke. And Nancy Kerrigan was able to capture the silver medal. She lost to a little-known young upstart Ukrainian named Oksana Bayul, who would later drunkenly crash her Mercedes into a tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay classy God. ice skating. <laughs> I mean, God, all of them. So that's the hey. famous Tanya Harding. I mean, all of them. Nancy you need to nothing. Nancy, think about how those little ice skaters are treated. You are. You shouldn't be surprised at how they act out. We have to, and also they're just people. Kobe. So I uh, for those baseball fans out there, these days it seems like every young phenom baseball pitcher can throw a fastball 100 miles an hour, right? But this used to be a very very rare thing. Randy Johnson was a six foot ten inch flame throwing pitcher who pitched from the uh, late 1980s well into the 2000s. He won a World Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2001, but his most spectacular feat was undoubtedly came that year in 2001 in spring training when Johnson was pitching in an exhibition game against the San Francisco Giants. So he lets fly one of his nasty fastballs, and suddenly there's a puff of feathers. Oh. Oh. And the ball, you can see the ball clearly ricochet away from its path. Oh, no. And when the dust cleared, there's a dove dead a on dove. the grass in between Randy Johnson and home plate. A dove or a pig yawn? I believe there's a dove. <laughs> oh. It's written as a dove. So a dove had li- accidentally flown directly in the path of a 100-mile-hour fastball oh. and was killed instantly. By Randy oh my Johnson, God. accidentally. Wow. That's um. I would on, feel again. That's so all bad. over all over YouTube. Uh, who was I think it was Dave Winfield who was an outfielder with a with a tremendous a cannon arm. For was he with the Blue Jays and Yankees? But he, I, I don't think he really really meant to. But there is again, it was like practice, and he just let one hawk. There's there I think pigeons or maybe seagulls. I don't remember now. Oh shit! You know, hang, just hanging out in the infield. Yeah, informal, and he hit one and killed it wow and he's like oh shit (laughs) he was aiming for them just like but i don't think he really thought it was like 100 feet away yeah at least i don't think he really thought i'm gonna i'm gonna hit and kill that bird oh my god but the but the 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 range one is unbelievable it was that's crazy yeah it's insane you don't even really see it it's a blur feathers ball ricochets and it's like what just happened and then they look down and they see what happened. Because you don't expect a bird to be flying down there. Yeah. Nope. Uh, I would I, expect birds to be scared to not yeah. want to be flying down there at all. They, huh? You'd be surprised. I've yeah, had true. an all-time baseball. They just hang out there. They'll yeah. be in the infield yeah, five feet from infielder. They get used to it. Food. Yeah. They'll give a food for They're popcorn. Yeah. yeah. Popcorn and moths. Yeah. If it's a night game. <laughs> yeah. Special mention goes to basketball player Manu Ginobili of the San Antonio Spurs. He caught a live bat with his bare hands that was flying around the court. That's a terrible idea. He knows it was a terrible idea. You want rabies? It was a stupid move, and he took multiple rabies shots. Yes. And he endured them and and agreed that was my just reward. I should have never done that. Well, did it bite him? Um, You don't always, you can't always tell either. You can't be um, too safe with rabies. Because bats are, are, I think, aren't they the most Number one vector, yes. Yeah, Yikes. he should not have done that. Oh my! Let god. the professionals handle that, Manu. Oh my god! And yeah. what they do is they literally don't handle it. And also, don't bite their head off, Ozzy. Oh, yeah. shit. looking at you, Ozzy. Don't bite. That was a pigeon. Off. In fairness to him, he thought it was fake. He thought yeah. the bird was fake. He didn't think somebody really threw an animal. He did a bat too. Oh, oh, he did a bat I too. Did a bat. I didn't know that. I, I thought he just know. did the bird. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm mixing the those two up. But he did either not way. Think, whatever he bit the head off, he didn't think it was real. He thought, oh, I've yeah, seen this, the bird. This, this, I think, oh, shit. This thing, this. <laughs> That's the That's worst thing ever. He didn't think it was real. It was Ozzy, so he may have. Yeah. yeah. Or he was on been, lots of drugs. Yeah, all every day. <clears throat> like, yeah, all Turns the out, drugs. by the way, genetically, he's genetically predisposed, A, to crave drugs, and B, to be able to absorb alcohol better than normal human beings. That's just a... Heard, I just read that. Wombo combo. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good one, but that's why he's still alive. Huh. He should not be. 
We're going to switch gears now to really almost the opposite. Now we're going to talk about some feats of glory, some amazing oh. and inspiring things as well in sports, but still weird. We're staying with that motif for sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, Pete Gray. He was an outfielder who played in the big leagues for the St. Louis Browns in 1945. Do they still exist? No yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, terrible name. It's a bad name. A horrible name. Isn't Dunno. there a Cleveland Browns? There's a Cleveland Browns oh. football team. Just, I mean, any other name it's is better. For real. Yeah. Just, come on. So this was at the uh, tail end of World War II. Men were still very scarce, so that may seem to diminish Gray's accomplishment, but it does not in my mind, because Pete Gray had only one arm. Mm, and he work. was an outfielder. So wow. he had to hit Wait. and field from the not field from the outfield and catch balls and then field them, uh, and he did it in the major leagues for one full year in 1945. He did not have a good year, but he played in the minor leagues for many years before, many years after, and he was a really good hitter. How did he do? I, he, How he, he, I mean, he was a little singles hitter. He just yeah. so he's not hitting home runs with one arm, but he would drop little line drives and hit him where they ain't. Had great back control, tremendous speed. Wow, he's a really good player. For, for many years, including one in the major leagues with one arm. Who and he was the, an outfielder? Who was the one-armed angel You're thinking pitching? of Jim Abbott? Yeah. So there have been a, a, a couple. Uh, there's Actually, there's a whole litany of kind of physically disabled Handicapped, yeah. baseball players. And Jim Abbott was a famous uh, pitcher yeah. for the uh, then angels. Anaheim Angels. Uh-huh. Now the California stupidly uh, named Los Angeles Angels, even though they're nowhere near Los yeah. Angeles. And... He he had one arms, but he was pitching, and he didn't have to. He never had to bat. He was in the American League where they have a designated oh. hitter, so yeah. he didn't have to hit. Although later on, I think he might have did. He might have been. I can't remember. But anyway, he was a very successful pitcher for for a number of years. There's another guy named Mordecai Three Fingered Brown, <laughs> whose his disablement is right there in the name, and it was his pitching hand too that he had only three fingers. Wow. Uh, Curtis Pride was deaf. And played outfield for the Detroit Tigers for a few years. A guy named Monty Stratton lost his right leg. You heard that right, leg, in a hunting accident and played in the minor leagues for seven years from 1946 wow. to 1950. 40s? Wow. With one leg. They even made a movie in 1949 about him starring Jimmy Stewart. That must have been so much harder back in those days. Oh my God. Because prosthetics were yeah. just. I would imagine painful. Yeah. Yeah. Like run around, steal mm-hmm. bases. They still through. can yeah. be, but. I know it. I imagine Jimmy Stewart probably just limped and like, yeah, no, trust me. It's, it's a, it's a fake. It's a fake leg. Again, yeah, they, no, because they probably didn't cut off Jimmy Stewart's off, leg. No. no. This yeah. is pre-CGI, so they yeah. couldn't do the Gary Sinise thing. <laughs> in, oh, my uh, God. Forrest Gump. So Tom Sunkel pitched in the major leagues from 1937 to 1944 while blind in one eye. Tom Sunkel would, would shift his head extremely. So, again, pitchers are sort of perpendicular to the batters, right? Their shoulders sort of facing the home plate while they're pitching. Hopefully that makes sense to you non-baseball yeah, people. I, yeah. And so so he and he was blind in his left eye and his right hand, and so he had to do an extreme shift and basically face the batter to and squint to see while before he had pitched the ball, which had to unnerve the hitter like pretty extremely. I mean, his depth perception wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't quite up to par yeah. given the fact he had one eye. So... A more current inspiration, though, is a guy named Shaquem Griffin. He is um, he has been doubted throughout his football career. He plays football, and the reason he's been doubted at every level—high school, college, and then the pros—is because he only has one hand. He's Ooh. missing his left hand, and he plays football. And despite the name football, you really do need your hands are very important, not just your feet. Yeah. And he plays linebacker, which again, he so he's got to try to intercept the ball, handle the ball. So Griffin was not initially not invited to a thing called the NFL Combine for uh, us for college football players, even though he's a very successful college football player, because you know presumably because of his handicap they didn't think he had a chance. Somehow they were able to get him an invite, and he he went to the combine and did twenty reps on the bench press with a prosthetic hand, and then ran a four point three eight second forty yard dash, the fastest fastest time of any linebacker at the combine. So he was drafted in the fifth round, and he not only made the team, but he started the very first game of the season. And this was just last year. Coming into this year, football season is about to start. He is considered an integral part of the Seattle Seahawks defense, where he plays with his brother, Shaquille. Who, by the way, his brother, by the way, I'm going to blank on the college they went to, but his brother was a hugely sought-after player out of high school, and he went to a college 
that basically more or less guaranteed his brother Shaquem would would be allowed to play despite the the one hand. Oh, so they, could play they wanted him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, yeah. Well, and literally, no, Shaquem's a great player in his own right, regardless of the handicap. It's probably also a good marketing, advertising thing. Oh, for sure, for sure. Baseball. Back to baseball. Baseball's an outdoor sport, as we know. You play it throughout the summer. What happens in the summer? It gets hot. And in, in the south, especially. Oh, it rains. It rains, and it has thunderstorms and lightning. Oh, yeah. Very, Baseball's very a- frightening. So, oh, yes. <laughs> so it was inevitable, I suppose, that baseball and lightning would meet. And they did so when Ray Caldwell, a Cleveland Indian pitcher, was struck by a bolt of lightning in 1919 while on the mound pitching a game against the Philadelphia A's. Jeez. He was knocked unconscious right there in the mound in front of thousands and thousands of spectators. He came to, and his teammates were about to sort of pick him up and help him off the mound. Caldwell said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm having none of that, because Ray Caldwell was eight and two-thirds innings into a perfect game. Oh, Again, in baseball, nine innings is a game. Yeah, You have to get 27 consecutive people out to pitch a perfect game. He had already gotten 26 of those out. This is something, this is one of the rarest feats in all of sports, right? To pitch a perfect game in baseball. He said, I ain't leaving. And so they let him pitch the next guy. He got him out and he finished a perfect game after being, being struck, struck by unconscious lightning. by lightning. Oh my gosh. I know. Is this why they, the second there's rain, they, 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 they golf. stop golf is, a game? Golf is like that too. You yeah. stop as soon as you have any, any hint of lightning in the area, it's, you stop. Yeah. And wait. Yes, that's exactly why. Hey. Basically any, any sport out there in the open field. So, Not soccer. In, in professional soccer, I'm sure. Yeah, they, they do. I'm sure they will. You guys played in rain, didn't you? Yeah, but they're just kids. Who yeah. cares? We're, I'm talking but, like and also, expensive like, millionaire professional soccer players. They're going to stop that game. And in thunderstorms. Yeah. Lightning. It's We've lightning. They, they'll play, like in football, they'll, they'll play during an s- absolute snowstorm or a thunder shower, but lightning is a different story. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, for Ray, he was also a raging alcoholic, and he pissed oh, away no. his immense talent and never achieved the lightning-lasting greatness that a lot of folks thought he would have got, but you'll never take away that electric perfect game. <laughs> oh, no. Pun intended. <laughs> in 1946, a boxer named Al Couture... Knocked out Ralph Walton in 10.5 seconds. Wow. Why is that so weird? Because in boxing, remember, you, your opponent, when your opponent is knocked onto the, to the canvas, you, the referee has to count to 10 yeah. for there to be a technical knockout. How is that possible? So Al Carter knocked out Ralph Walton in half a second. Wow. So apparently what happened is the bell rang. Walton starts out, but, but he's distracted by his corner. Someone in his corner said something, and he just turns around. Couture would just uh, boom, lit him up, knocked him on his ass. The ref apparently started immediately counting, and boom, the fight's over. Ten point five seconds. Apparently, that can wow. never that will never happen again because now you have to go to your corner before they're going to start counting. So it's going to take at least a, a second or two to do that. But at yeah. the time, ten point five seconds, shortest boxing match ever, and will always be the shortest boxing wow. match ever. You can't be what I know. Here's one that's even weirder, by the way. Doc Ellis. He was an outstanding pitcher for the mostly for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 1960s and 70s. And remember, those were some pretty wild times, as we know. A lot of drug use, right? And this was your favorite team. The Pirates were my favorite during team during that time. I was not. I was not at this time. This is a little before I, I realized they were my favorite team. But oh. in 1970, <laughs> in June June 12, 1970, Doc Ellis had been partying for a few days. And then on June 12th, he woke up and decided to take a hit of acid, LSD. Unfortunately, Doc had lost track of the schedule, and that was his day to pitch and start a Major League Baseball game in San Diego against the Padres. Uh He was in Los Angeles still where they'd been playing the Dodgers. So he had to get a flight. He missed the flight for the team (laughs) because he was drunk and on drugs. And he had to fly down to San Diego. And pitch against the, the San Diego Padres. And he would later say that he could not really feel the ball. And he didn't recognize any of the hitters. Only He only kind of vaguely realized that they're either on the left side of the plate or the right side of the plate. Oh, Otherwise, no. I had no idea who they were. It didn't matter, though. Not only did he win that game, he pitched a no-hitter. Stop it. Yes. Wow. A no-hitter on acid. The Pirates won two-zip. And he didn't remember virtually any of it, any of it whatsoever. 
he, he, he remembers some. He said, in fact, he said this later. He says, quote, I started having a crazy idea in the fourth inning that Richard Nixon was the home plate umpire. And once I thought I was pitching a baseball to Jimi Hendrix, who to me was holding a guitar and swinging it over the plate. And I believe Jimi Hendrix was, was dead by then. Or, or no, maybe not. Maybe, but soon. So in fairness, some, a lot of people think he's full of shit. And he was just sort of puffing his legend because he did have this legend of this crazy yeah. wild man. He did crazy shit. Uh, like all his teammates at the side at the time have basically said, "No, nah, it's bullshit. He was not on acid. We would have known." Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Most people think he lied. It's made up. He didn't even allege it until years later. Uh, so probably didn't well, really happen. But yeah. a great I could imagine story. not coming right out and saying that. I could also imagine, but considering who, who he was, they can absolutely imagine him making have? it up. Oh, okay. Absolutely, yeah. So. It may not. It may be legend puffing, but the acid no hitter lives on in baseball lore. To this wow, day. Hmm. acid no hitter. Yeah. Now we are going to switch to a topic I call. Did you know? <laughs> yes. Mark? I bet you didn't. I'll bet. I'll tell me if you knew any of these, but I bet you don't know any of them. A gold medal in the Olympics is one of the greatest achievements in sports, right? It's iconic. Yeah. It's recognized by everyone immediately. But since the 1920 Olympics, gold medals are not actually made of gold. Knew it, bitch. Did you really? Nice try. Okay. <laughs> How much is gold? Just the thin coating on the outside. What's, uh, what is it mainly made out of? A gold Nickel. Metal? No. Silver. 93% silver. silver. The gold metal is 93% silver. Huh. So 7% gold, right? 6% copper. <laughs> 1% gold. Just a few grams. Oh. It's just the paper thin. <laughs> yeah. Gilded. A gold plating that is the gold part of a gold medal. Huh. Six six grams is what it is. I mean, you can get yeah, a tiny you, amount of gold to be the size of a tennis yeah. court. Well, think about how much it would cost. If yeah. It was real, think about how much money they make. <laughs> hey. Well, apparently the silver medals are real silver. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, but yeah. silver's a fraction of gold. I know. Price. I know. So really, though, you ask yourself, is a gold medal really worth someone getting kneecapped? Let's ask oh, Tanya. Shit. If that's true. Well, that's it wasn't the monetary value Tanya was after. <laughs> at least of the gold yeah. medal. She she wanted to do the Wheaties commercial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> there was lots more than just Wheaties. Yeah. Remember that? That was in the era where, God, that was really punching your ticket. You won an Olympic medal, special gold. You were uh, and ice skaters, too. Oh, God, ice skaters yeah. were set for... That's weird. ride that for the mm-hmm. rest of their lives. It was 1943. The world was at war. Yeah. So young Twice. Man, this, this, yeah. Young men were off fighting on the islands of the, of the Pacific or maybe the bloody sands of North Africa. Football, as we know, American football, needs a lot of young men to be played. So most pro football players at this time, they either had deferments or they were considered unfit to fight, which seems odd because they're oh, fit Lord. to play football. Yeah. That left a pretty shallow pool of players, right? So when players fell short in 1943... In-state rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers, joined forces. Two enemy teams merged into one. To do what? To be a one team. Because they just didn't and have just enough players. Play? Yeah. And play oh. as one team. Which is, that's weird on its face, right? Yeah. Here's a weirder part, though. Their name? Remember, the, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steagles. The Steagles. The Steagles. <gasps> the Philadelphia-Pittsburgh Steagles. Oh, my God. Is I was saying that as a joke. Technically, Get down. their name was the Phil Pitt Combine. No. Because professional football has always wanted to suck the fun out of everything. But no, everybody has always called them. And they were, at the time, informally known as the Steagles. <laughs> always be known as the Steagles. Oh, my God. That's funny. March Madness. What is March Madness? You know that one? Uh, basketball in college, the March. College basketball college. in March. True the story. The tournament thing. Yes, good. Lots of playing. Lots. Final lots. four. It's it's a great. The, that first 16. Thursday and Friday of the tournament are two of the best sports days. Uh, in Chapel in Hill. The world. <laughs> 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 out cities. LeBron. Um, no. Net. UNC Chapel Hill is a very prominent yes, basketball yes, college. Yes, Motherfucker. So you say Chapel Hill. Yeah, why not? Okay. March Madness is, is each year, so 64 teams, actually technically 68, but let's not get into it. That's too many. 64 teams start, and they all play. The next, then the next day, the 32 teams play, and so on and so on, right? It's a lot of games. It's a ton of games. Every year, millions of Americans, like me, try to pick the winners before the tournament starts. This is called your bracket. 
your March Madness or NCAA bracket. Yeah, right? you got a fantasy. Yeah. You have to. You literally have to go through every single game and pick the winner. Right. <laughs> Even All President the, Obama did it. He, yes, did. he did. Yes, he did. Famously, a perfect bracket is when you pick the winner correctly in each and every game throughout the entire tournament, including the championship. What are the odds? Do you one know? one in nine point two quintillion? Whoa, that's a nine. With 18 more digits after it. Wow. That's a lot of digits. That's a lot. No one has ever picked yeah. a perfect bracket. So why why you talk about it? An autistic teenager from Illinois picked the first two rounds correctly. In a few, the not first one round? No, first two rounds. Two. That's so his, that's a lot of games, that's, right? That's a, that's a one in 13.46 million chance yeah. just to do that. Wow. Just of the two rounds. And there are several more rounds. Yeah. Wow. No one has ever come close. And that's the closest anyone's gotten to perfection. Yeah. So a few years ago, Warren Buffett says, you know what? I have a lot of money, money sitting around my pocket. I will give $1 billion to anyone who picks the perfect bracket this year. Well, he just knows that's never going to happen. Yeah. And it didn't happen. He still yeah. has his billion. Yeah. Because he's, but still. Oh, just over one, just on one fun. year. <laughs> Warren, you ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, he only did one year. Fuck out of here oh, with that billion. No, it's not. Yeah. It really should be. I thought it was. Disappointing, Warren. Yeah. Hey, if you're there, Warren, put, let's do the million, the billion also, dollar challenge again. Maybe on, end buddy. world hunger. Yeah. You asshole. Are that. are that. Wow. Fucking Damn. Bezos. Goddamn. Are you. Am Jesus. I wrong? No, I like one Buffett. What? To some degree. I eat them all. It's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, Harry Chitty. Ever heard of him? No. No. Neither, neither, have I. neither is really anyway, but he was a baseball player. We should. That's a, a great name. It is a good name. Harry Chitty. Maybe C- it's Chitty. H- Chitty? It's probably Chitty. C-H-I-T-I. That's not a good name for sports, though. Chitty, My name no. is Chitty. Uh-oh. <laughs> he was a catcher. He played for the Cubs and a few other teams from 1950 to 1962, so he was around for a while. Even though, and he even fought in the Korean War in the early mm. part of his career, he made the big leagues at only 17 years old. Very impressive, Man. right? Unfortunately, to the degree anyone remembers Harry Chidi, which no one does, it's because he is one of the only players in baseball history to be traded for himself. How? I'll tell you. So it's 1962. His career is kind of winding down. He's with the Detroit Tigers. Before the season even starts, they trade him to the Cleveland Indians, right? And then, before, just before the season is actually about to start, the Indians, in turn, trade Chitty to the expansion of New York Mets. It's New York Mets' first day, first game ever, right? So the Mets start playing. Chitty starts playing for the Mets. And he was traded for a, quote-unquote, player to be named later. Huh. Very common. That's very common in baseball. It's yeah. just that we haven't figured out right now, you know, you need, the, you need a catcher, let's say. Chitty's a catcher. We don't really need him. We'll figure out in a few weeks or, or a couple months who you give back to us. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll agree on that. So play the name later. Chitty's traded. Chitty starts, Chitty starts playing with the Mets. And, but over those next few weeks, he is sucking it. He's betting 195, which is awful in, in baseball. Trust me. Yeah. It's really bad. He's having a hard time. So now the Indians come asking the Mets, okay, well, who is that player to name later? Who are you going to give us? The Mets say, hey, why don't you take back that shitty ass catcher that you gave to us? In the first place, he sucks. The Indians, apparently feeling guilty, agree. So Chidi has been is effectively traded for himself, and he goes back to the Indians. How common is that kind of a trade? It's where uh, played a name later. Yeah, very common. Really, very common. I'm surprised that he's the only person that's ever he's happened not. to. It's been oh, wait, huh? three or four others. He was just the most prominent. He was the first one. Oh. I, no, maybe I, I can't remember now. But it's been there's been three or four others who have kind of like that been traded in, in somewhat similar circumstances, but his was just very, it was at the major league level and it was just a few weeks apart and it, it was huh. his um, New York media. So it was much, it was, it was, yeah. it was relatively better known and, and uh, more of a famous occurrence. Yeah. Poor guy. But he had a story to tell his grandkids yeah. the rest of his life. Hockey. We haven't talked about hockey yet. Let's yes. talk about no. hockey. The Stanley Cup. You know what that is? Yes. A cup. Big old silver cup. Yeah, that's what the, the National League, the National Hockey League. Every year, the winners are awarded the Stanley Cup, and they get to keep it for that year. Their name gets written on the. Um, it's been around since 1893, and their name is etched on that silver for all of hockey history. Right, uh, and and so it's kind of a centerpiece of hockey history. So you think that the person doing the etching would be really, really careful about etching in the and name of the winner of the Stanley Cup for that year. 
Pardon? Engraving. Engraving, sorry. You'd engraving. Think. Etching is something else. Okay. Yeah. Well, they engraved the name in 1972 when the Boston Bruins won the 72 Sunday Cup. The person who did the engraving engraved B-Q-S-T-Q-N. Bakustkin. <laughs> instead of Boston. So instead of O's, he He's did accused. Q's. Why? No one knows. The Bruins oh. beat... The New York Rangers that year, the NHL is headquartered in New York. You do the math. They hired, a, uh, I'm assuming, a local yeah. engraver. Sorry. A local the, engraver there yeah. somewhere in New York. You know, a little bitter. Huh. Maybe. I'm thinking. I mean, that can be an accident. No, you but you'd think you think if you were just doing something to screw him, you'd find something more clever than that. No, I, I, no you wouldn't because that is, it's like, wait. Is that a cue? Yeah. You know, that could go unnoticed. And yeah. It, it, it did, I think, for a little while. I was going to say, yeah, if I were that person, I Such wouldn't genius. want to get caught doing it because then you can never be the Stanley Cup <laughs> engraver you know again. Never, I'll, I'll deal with that. Maybe, I get to screw yeah. Boston, the hated rivals, forever and ever and ever on this but I can Stanley say, Cup. I'm Maybe the Stanley Cup engraver, to, bitch. Maybe he was ready to retire. Yes, yes. He was done. Day. Wow. His, his engraving day. career yeah. was over anyway. He had nothing to lose. That's what I think. We're going to, to switch now to a topic I like to call bad ideas. <laughs> and this will be our last topic. Bill Veek. He was a baseball team owner. His heart, though, was more like in promotions and sideshows, circus kind of stuff. He was he owned a baseball team, uh, baseball teams over the years. But he was just uh, he just loved the show and oddities and and, and do weird funky stuff for the crowds. It, it, he should have been a circus promoter, not a baseball <laughs> owner. So he did a lot of crazy stunts. The, the stunt that he's most remembered for, though, is when he signed a little person named Eddie Goodell to play for his St. Louis Browns in 1951. Eddie Goodell was three feet seven inches tall. Oh, sir. In baseball, the strike zone, as you know, goes from the kneecaps to the middle of the chest of the batter. As we know. So as you must know. So this means Goodell's strike zone is tiny minuscule and <gasps> bill v, uh, Veek told oh. him to crouch and try to make it even look no smaller. so he has a ba- so this six foot whatever pitcher is trying to throw i don't know a 10 inch strike zone vertically yeah Veek let him off in the first game of a doubleheader against the detroit tigers in august 19th 1951 by the way the number on his back one eighth oh my <laughs> no, god it was a one slash eight as expected he took which means he did not swing at four straight balls, all high, I imagine, yeah. and walked to first base. That's a base on balls where a pinch runner immediately took his place and started right. the game. The league wow. the next day, Warren Veek said, "That's not okay. That's yeah. not better not bet repeated." Yeah. But Bill Veek got the attention he craved. It was a huge story. Yeah, it was all over the news. He later said that Goodell was under strict orders. You had better not swing at any pitch. What if you actually hit one? He said, quote, yeah. he told he said he told Goodell this. I'm going to be up on the roof with a high-powered rifle watching every <gasps> move you make. If you so much as look as if you're going to swing, I'm going to shoot you dead. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what, you think he's not a dick? <laughs> Electric chair. Yeah, yeah. We need well, to lock him up. He didn't. He didn't swing, and so Bill Veek wasn't for he, he obviously wasn't really on, on the roof with well, a um, high-powered rifle, but it's I didn't think so that. was Eddie Goodell. Really, a baseball? I mean, no, not at all. Absolutely not. So no. he literally probably couldn't hit the ball. No, he no. But what if he just just moved the bat and he yeah. tapped the ball and he didn't get the walk? Yeah, the whole idea was he was going to walk and be yeah. pitch run for. Yeah. Sadly, though, Eddie Goodell died in 1961 when he was beaten to death. <gasps> Jesus, which to this day is an unsolved murder. Wow. Oh, I know. And in the in the meantime, in those ten years, he had given so few autographs during his actual life. His autograph today is worth more than Babe Ruth's autograph. Seriously? There's almost no Eddie Goodell autographs. Wow. And he's this amazing sideshow of sports history. So, yeah. Huh. That's, that's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. It is in the sad ending. Who beats to death a, a three-foot a little person. person? That's not okay. Whoever, whoever did no. that, not cool. Electric chair, too. Yeah, I'd say, with Bill Big. <laughs> so, baseball stadiums, we're switching to baseball stadiums now. They can be kind of iconic. We've heard of Wrigley Field. It's ivy-covered outfield wall. Very famous. Fenway Park in Boston. It's famous for having rats. Oh, okay. Lots of seen sure. rats on the field. So it was the 1950s. 
And this is before they started building those horrific multi-purpose stadiums meant for baseball and football combined. So they're still building some stadiums from some character, which they are now again. Yeah. But in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they built these just nightmare, uh, terrible stadiums. So in the 50s, though, they still, you know, let's build something that's, that's, that's interesting, that's neat, right? So the economy's humming along. Baseball was, was very popular. And the Pittsburgh Pirates needed a new stadium. So some... Folks said, you know, let's do something spectacular. Like what? Well, like how we about we build a 70,000-seat stadium on a massive platform rising over and across the Monongahela River, which is a huge river. Pittsburgh is known as the Three Rivers. Good yeah. Lord. They were going to build a 70,000-seat a stadium over a river. Throw in two hotel towers totaling 600 rooms, a 100 bowling lane bowling alley, and parking for 4,500 cars. All of this on a platform over the river, the Monongahela River. Why would they ever think that that's feasible? Well, the a glorious company called Nadco Engineering thought it was feasible because this was their idea, and they drew pictures of it. There's pictures. We'll we'll put some stuff on our social media. Wow, pictures of the stadium over. The river. I that would literally amazing. never go anywhere near that. Oh, Absolutely I, not. I would. Uh, that'd be awesome. That'd no. Be phenomenal. Scary. Uh, unfortunately, the pirates nixed it and didn't do it because it would probably also cost a hundred million dollars sure. <laughs> back in the fifties. Yeah. But it's sad that we don't have. But that'd be amazing, though. That would be a, an icon in any community if you had a, a stadium over your river. That'd be cool. You have to admit. I <sighs> I would not think it is cool. I think we when we have the first stadium in space. That'll be cooler, I admit. But until then, let's build one over a river. If it worked, yeah, I, I don't know. know. I think an engineering be... firm—they they drew up plans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that but doesn't again, mean it's going to work. It engineering would, firms drop a lot of shit. It wow. would cost wow. an they absolute do. fortune. No, I'm sure it would. Uh huh. And also, I bet you would probably fuck up the ecosystem of that river. Yeah. How, how yeah. could it not? The fish will be in shade for a little while as they swim by. It's there it epic. is. Come on. Yeah, it would yeah, it would be it I don't I don't think that's a good idea at all. <laughs> I think it they would get it built and it would immediately start to sink. Yeah. Um, I think it would collapse. It would be in so heavy. Half a second. No, it's on a platform over. It doesn't touch the water. That doesn't no, matter. I understand it that. Stands over the water. But okay. still. Okay. The weight of that shit. Yeah. I guess just naysayers. And, yes. And the ground yes, we are. In, you know, at the bottom of the river is muddy. Yeah. What's your point? Again, it's <laughs> so, not I know, but whatever. It's never going to touch water. It's going to have to have like big Beams, concrete support. Yes. Yeah, support. Yeah, you have bridges. Those they are do that all the time. <laughs> they they dig them down. Into yeah, but the... bridges aren't that heavy. They don't have towers and thousands of cars. Hundred lane bridges. Seventy thousand people. It was going to be anchored on either bank. By the way, I also. well no shit. Yeah, but it's still a ton of weight. Yeah, come on. In the middle of it. Carry just dream. No. Don't kill dreams. I think it's impossible. Okay. I think it's impossible Whatever, and Whatever. also dumb. You know, else, you know who probably didn't think it was impossible? Bill Veek. He was at it again in 1976. The guy who brought us Eddie Goodell. He had now repurchased a struggling Chicago White Sox in, in 76. By the way, who had rumored to be like one foot out the door, they're going to move to Seattle. It was, it was considered a done deal. They never did. But everybody was like, okay, they're just playing the last year out here in Chicago. They're going to move to Seattle. So he was trying to drum up business and interest any way he could for the White Sox. They weren't a very good team. He, he His quote was he wanted to inject some fun in the team, so he tried a bunch of stunts throughout the year again. That was, that was, again, that's what he's good at, not baseball. The best one, though, was when he had his professional major league baseball team trot out onto the field for an actual major league game dressed in shorts. <laughs> baseball. Baseball. Remember, you were sliding in dirt yeah. in Baseball uh. in shorts. It was on August 8th against the Kansas City Royals. It was the first game of a doubleheader. And they, they did switch back to long pants in the nightcap, but the team wore shorts for that first game and then twice more later in the season. Thankfully, for thank God, they've never been seen since. Again, you can go look it up on YouTube, too. You have They show like a, a White Sox sliding a couple times. Ah. And it didn't look like he... You know, you mostly slide in your hip. Yeah. But still... It's not fun. Yeah, but your shorts are going to ride yeah, out. <laughs> <laughs> they were fairly long shorts, and they, uh, but still. That oh, that's because what year was it? 76. So I they came in hot shorts, be, but they yeah. weren't. I know, you think they would, given the basketball dec- yeah. decorum. Yeah. But uh, it, it Dolphin was shorts. Not quite that short. Maybe. So pretty soon they were speedos. So they've never been used since. That's and I'm sure these days the baseball union would say, uh, no. So, well, I was going to say, the players didn't say they just, didn't, they didn't have a whole lot of power stupid. back then. 
Yeah, I'm sure they. Yeah, they did. I mean, I'm sure they thought that. Yeah. So uh, hockey again. Fox Sports was trying to cover the NHL in 1996. Hockey in the United States on a national level has never done very well on television, right? And so in 1996, when Fox bought the rights to hockey, they just said, we want to do something a little different. We want to solve that where's the puck problem that a lot of casual fans cite as being a problem with watching hockey. They can't find the puck on TV. It's just too small yep. and it moves very, very fast, right? Yeah. Can't so, see shit. So Fox's solution was to electronically make the puck glow blue around it as it zipped across the ice. Again, you look this up on YouTube. It's just got a kind of a blue glow around the puck wherever it's going. So like can, a lightsaber. Like you can follow it a little bit better, but it basically turned hockey to, to look like Tron. You yeah. know? It was a disaster. Real fans hated it. Casual fans, it, just, it still wasn't enough to, yeah. for them to suddenly watch hockey. So it was, it was just panned by the sports media and they stopped it. And, and uh, they actually, I think they redid it for a playoff game semi-recently and people are still talking about doing it. There's like, Improved technology will really make this idea. Well, I was going to say, nowadays. yeah, they yeah. could probably do it better now because don't they like in football and stuff? They electronically put lines on the they field for the viewers, to yeah. denote yeah. certain they do. things. Yeah. I would yeah. not be surprised. That's good. No, it's first good. down. You handle that well. I would not be at all surprised if hockey does eventually. Yeah. Do this. They'll, yeah. It'll, it'll be they'll you know they'll make they'll put something in the puck. I bet though. Yeah. And, like yeah. an actual physical something. Yeah. Yeah. Something I can like see that. that. Some kind yeah. of sensor. fiber optics of some sort. Yeah, maybe because it'd be so much lighter. They couldn't have done that back then to a puck. But it's like, I mean, if it weighs the same and has the same texture, or whatever, why not? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, hockey purists will will shit their pants and hate it no matter what you do. But we'll see. Disco Demolition Night. Huh? That was exactly what it sounds like. It was, mm-hmm. again, the Chicago White Sox, naturally, but this time it was Mike Veek, Bill's son, who's now owner of the team in July of 1979. He's our perp in this one. July 12, 1979. A lot of people, what was happening in 79 in the rest of the world in, the, in terms of music? Disco. Disco. Yeah. It was huge, right? <laughs> Is Chicago a disco town? Probably. No. Chicago's oh. a rock and roll town, Carrie. Oh. A lot Can be both. of people hated uh, disco by 1979. I think everybody hated disco by 79. Everybody claimed to hate disco. I, I hated disco. But okay, now, right now, I know because it was cool to say disco sucks. It was cool, Carrie. It was cool. You know who else said that? Steve Dahl. He was a radio disc jockey at the time in Chicago, and he was famous for being anti-disco, right? So he gets together with Mike Veek, the owner of the White Sox, and he says, let's do some an anti-disco promotion at a baseball game and let's how about we do this we'll let anyone into the game for 98 cents i think that was the i think they were like 98 by one whatever his his radio station right so everybody has to pay a 98 cents they can get into the game if they bring a disco album with them and steve Dahl was going to make have a, a big giant pile of disco albums and blow them up in between the two games of this scheduled doubleheader on this night. That or, sounds like a horrible idea. That's how you have disco demolition, Carrie. It, uh, can you think of a better way for disco demolition? I didn't think so. Yeah, not uh, do it. So, um, Needless to say, this brought a certain element to the game. And by that, I mean a drunken, unruly element to the game. 90,000 people showed up for a stadium that, seated, that sat 52,000 Matches. Jesus. Uh-oh. And, and 90,000 drunken people with a disco album that they wanted to be seen blown up. It was not a pre-sight. Uh, and naturally, as you know, remember, they, they brought them into the stadium. They're supposed to put them like in boxes on the way in. But okay, really? Yeah. No, yeah. They didn't. So what do, what do albums make? They make really good frisbees. frisbees. <laughs> so, so they started almost immediately winging these uh. records onto the field right after their first beer. And... That was followed by firecrackers, liquor bottles, and cigarette what? lighters all coming onto the field. The game was stopped and restarted several times just to clean up the mess, right? Between, remember, there's supposed to be two games. So between games of the planned doubleheader, Steve Dahl went out. He bought this big, big box of disco records, and it was rigged with explosives. Apparently too many explosives, though, because when he detonated it, it created a much bigger explosion than they thought, and it left a gaping hole in the outfield oh my grass God. in the middle of center field. So, smart thing might be. And, and also, remember there's 90,000 people, so there's like 40-something thousand people outside milling around the stadium. Well, they were trying to sneak in and force their way in all night long. So, Mike Veek ordered 
all virtually all the security staff to go man the gates. Oh. So they were not on the field or near the field. They were yeah. out in the perimeter of the stadium tr- making sure people didn't sneak in. Oh, shit. So this meant there was no security to stop the crowd from rushing onto the field, which they did uh. after the explosion. Thousands of them. I think the game had either started or they were, or they were warming up because the players were on the field. And the, um, the players tried to flee. The crowd rioted, destroyed what was left of the field. Someone even lit a bonfire in center field with the blown up albums, I guess. What the fuck? So the White Sox forfeited the second game. But you know what? It was wow. worth it. They it was deserved to it. lose the game. Um, stupid didn't owner. like records and fragments of records go Everywhere. flying all yeah, over the place? Yeah, Henny. Yeah. That's dangerous. Uh, amazingly stupid. God. How, that, who, who thought that what, was going to end well? Uh, how did the Meek family make their fortune? What I, was there? I don't think they had a real fortune. They were actually kind of among the poorer owners of baseball teams. Uh, Bill Veek, remember, went back to like the like the 30s or 40s for his first team and just sort of in, you know willed it and bought and rebought teams. They Baseball teams weren't valued at remotely what they are now. Oh, okay. It wasn't like he was broke, but they weren't millionaire yeah. types at all. At all. Hmm. I think most of their assets were tied up in their baseball team. Okay. Hmm. Finally, we'll end with 10 cent beer night. Another Uh-oh. idea that can't not end well. Is this also the Veeks? This was not the Veeks of the White Sox, surprisingly. This was the Cleveland Indians behind this nightmare. It was June 4th, 1974. Cheap beer, by the way, cheap beer promotions had been done before without too much of an incident. They would always use really light beer, 3.2% ABV, which is like Mormon beer. You know, in Utah, you can't go above 3.2% and yeah. sell beer in restaurants. It, so they'd use that kind of light alcohol beer, not not near beer. There is alcohol in it. And, and so if you drink enough, you're going to get drunk. But they were sensible. They limited each purchase to six beers for 10 cents. Six beers. Unfortunately, uh. there was no limit on how many times you can go back for your six beers <laughs> for 60 cents. So they didn't think that part through. And it turns out the fans went back a, a lot. lot. So uh, in no time, I mean, this is a really involved, oh amazing God. story. Uh, uh, it has a riot. It has a player on the opposing team, which is the Texas Rangers, having to be held back from going into the stands. It has fans running onto the field. It has another Ranger player almost hit, hit by a gallon jug of Thunderbird wine thrown from the sands. It would, I mean, that could have killed him. Yeah. It has um, firecrackers were tossed into the Rangers bullpen. Where the Is it just because people were drunk and people were shit Absolutely, drunk. and it kind of starts, and you know, it's kind of a mob yeah. mentality, and it, it just got completely out of hand. The uh, the right, and there's other things too where they they attack. There's big beer trucks outside, and they, they they hired a bunch of girls, young women, to sell the beer, and they just mobbed. They just took, you know, they they, yeah. they basically hijacked those trucks of beer and started just passing out. Wow. Terrible beer. Uh, the riot started when one particularly drunk and stupid Indians fan, he ran into the field, right? In the outfield where Jeff Burroughs was. He was. And he was the Rangers' biggest star at the time. So this drunk fan goes up to Jeff Burroughs and tries to take his hat. And so Jeff Burroughs whirled around to chase after him, but Jeff Burroughs tripped from the dugout, the rest oh, of the Rangers no. team thought he had just been knocked down, sucker punched. They didn't know. They thought he was attacked because you couldn't quite see what happened there. They just knew he was on the ground and some fan was out there with him, right? So they rushed en masse onto the field to go protect their their star slugger. And the uh, Rangers got out. By the time they got out there, there's a whole group of fans with knives and chains and parts of the seats they ripped from the stands oh, as weapons. <laughs> they ripped seats out of the stands and went onto the field to confront the opposing team. It was like a rumble. Yeah. So the crowd surged around the Rangers, so the Indians came to the rescue, and they ran out on the field to protect the Rangers. And and those two teams had bad blood, by the way, into this. And listen to the dollop version of this. Yeah. It's hilarious, and it gives you way more detail than we're going to give you here. It was a ton, There was a lot of, of history between these two teams. The Rangers had a... a, a horrible manager named Billy Martin who was an alcoholic and a racist and a piece of shit who was egging things on. I remember him. Yeah, he was a dick. And so so rocks, bottles, batteries, and chairs rained onto the field. Security struggled to restore order as the players basically fled for their dugouts and then into the dressing rooms to just get out of the way there. Several players and umpires were injured. Some pretty badly. 
a lot of a lot of um, fans were injured very badly as well. But surprisingly, no one was killed. Which is, if you think about it, kind of surprising. I mean, it was it was pretty much a riot on a baseball <laughs> stadium that started during an actual game. The Indians forfeited the game. Naturally speaking, Indians mm. general manager Phil Seggy blamed the umpires for losing control of the game. Oh, really? Naturally. Seriously? Yes. He came out and said, "Umpires shouldn't like they lost control of that game. They should have handled it. They should have controlled it." So yeah, That's this dumb. was the this was the infamous uh, ten cent beer night. Right. Wow. What the fuck? That is the last of our amazing sports stories. What do you think? Those are amazing, Dean. <laughs> Those were amazing sports stories, Dean. Uh, I thought they were. They were. I thought, I thought they were interesting. Bizarre. So hopefully you enjoy those even if you don't like sports because there's a lot of weirdness there in sports. And again, one of these days we'll have to address amazing sports because there's some just like, <laughs> are you really doing that? And they are. Yes. These are real yeah. legit sports that are happening every day all over the world and it's like that that's not right yep well thank you thank you for listening <laughs> well you're welcome well, thank you for telling us those things i have a funny uh i don't even know where i heard this but some maybe it was you um well maybe I should... there's a thing called 10 cent beer night and <laughs> okay so if you want to look us up on social media we're at weird world podcast on facebook and Instagram and Patreon and Weird World Pod on Twitter and Weird World Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Carrie. Hopefully you enjoyed that. So next week we'll get back to something a little more traditionally weird, I imagine. And look for us then. Wait, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I never know what to say at the end. Anyway, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Love you. Oksana Bayou.